0: Hey, you guys, this is the Couplings Fire podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Taylor, a volunteer firefighter and also a firewife to my favorite firefighter. Join me as I talk anything and everything fire-related. I don't claim to be an expert. I just love to talk fire, and I'm not afraid to get into real and deep discussions. Everything I say is my own opinion and does not reflect the opinions of any agency or organization I am associated with let's get on with the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Couplings Fire podcast. We have a great guest for you on today. I'm excited. I've been meaning to to get him on the podcast for about, what, almost six months now or something like that, six or seven months. Like it's just, it's been ridiculous. And honestly, my brain's kind of been going everywhere. And sometimes I don't get to the ideas that I have You know, so you know, six months later is better late than never. But I'm so excited to get you on because we have so much to talk about. So let me introduce my guest for the week, Brandon Fletcher. And I'm just gonna say that you're from Chief Fletcher 901 because that that is the new thing you you officially started this year,
1: correct? That is true. That is true. So Chief Fletcher 901. That uh, that has a, a multitude of meanings. So first off, I'm from the 901 area code
0: oh uh, so, thank you, you know, thank you i was wondering where that was coming up from so
1: well and and also you know my call sign on the radio is 901 so oh, fantastic it kind of it kind of has a dual meaning so chief fletcher 901 hey i'm 901 is the fire chief here at guilt edge and then i'm also from the 901 area code so that's that's kind of where that all came
0: from awesome so for everyone who doesn't know who you are yet for by the way if you haven't figured out who he is yet this is a good time to meet up and you should totally look into some of his classes because I've taken a few and they are, they are top-notch, but for people who haven't heard of you yet, can you tell a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So I'm a second generation firefighter, uh, fire chief here in Gilt Edge, Tennessee, which is a small town North of Memphis. Uh, we're, we're pretty close to Mississippi river, uh, about as close as you can get really. And been in the fire service for this is my 22nd year and I just, I enjoy the fire service. I love the fire service. I have a passion for the fire service. Uh, I love teaching. I love meeting folks. I love meeting uh, other firefighters and just talking about, you know, fire-related stuff like we're doing here today. And, uh, you know, I just I just love helping people and, and you know, helping folks get better, uh, whether it's leadership, whether it's tactics, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we could talk about at some point, but, uh <laughs> just, just kind of keeping it brief.
2: <laughs> I was
0: going to say, when I told you, you could introduce yourself, you're like, Oh my goodness, I could go into everything or keep it really, really short.
1: And <laughs> well, so, so it's funny. So, you know, whether you, whether it's a class or whether it's a podcast or, or whatever, you know, some places like they read your bio and, you know, like everywhere you go, it, when you're teaching on the in, in the fire service world, you know, they always want a bio to promote the class, and so you sit there and you and you try to type it out, and and you're you're trying to keep it you know, reasonable in length, but still cover everything, and and it seems like okay, this is this is a pretty reasonable, you know, a few sentences, a little paragraph or whatever, and then you'll get on a a podcast or you'll be in an event where they read your bio, and now you're sitting there listening to it, you're like, oh my gosh, I I really. Typed out that much stuff, like it, it feels like it's dragging on and on and on forever, never ever. So I just, I, I, I really like that. Hey, I'm Chief Fletcher, I'm the fire chief in Gilchrist Tennessee, and then you know just go from there. So. Yeah,
0: well, that's nice because it totally speaks to you too because you don't flaunt any of it, and um, we'll get into into a lot of this, a lot of a lot of what I'm talking about, but you you take classes all the time. You're really into stuff. You're really into learning. You're really into pursuing the knowledge of the fire service. And you're really into passing on that knowledge and things like that. But you, you don't love, at least from what I can tell you, don't love going and saying, Hey, I've done all these things
1: and this
0: is why you should listen to me. You you just say like, I'm a firefighter. I'm a fire chief. This is what I do. Well,
1: well the the whole, Hey, I've done all this. You should listen to me. That kind of turns people off. So oh, yeah, That's, uh, <laughs> But, but but i have a uh, I, I have a saying i i am most of my social media posts would never stop learning
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and so i truly believe that and you know as a person i i don't like to not know stuff yeah and then as a fire chief especially anything to do with our job from firefighting to ems to technical rescue to hazmat to whatever you know, I don't ever want to be in that spot where I know absolutely nothing. You you can't know everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. But being able to recognize what you don't know and then taking a conscious effort to, to improve. And so, you know, people will tell me it's like, you just have like an encyclopedia of knowledge. And I'm like, well, I mean, that wasn't necessarily my intent. My intent was, you know, Either I had a conversation or I had an incident where I didn't feel like I was adequately prepared to deal with that, uh, or I didn't know what I felt like I should know. And so when I have that happen, I, I get on a mission. And that mission is to seek out knowledge to not have that occur again, where I feel like I don't know enough about what I need to make a decision about.
0: Uh, that's exactly the way I feel like I come out of it a lot is I I see something I'm like, I don't know enough. And okay. Where do I learn this next from, you know, what, what do I need to do to fill in these gaps?
1: And so with that too, comes the, the, the journey. Okay. I maybe had this one question that I wanted answered. Well, you know, you go take a class that, you know, covers that question and then beyond. And so (laughs) then sometimes, Sometimes that leads to more questions, which then leads. That to more always questions. leads to more questions.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> so you never stop learning, and, and yeah. if you ever reach that point, I, I don't care whether it's a fireman or as a company officer or as a fire chief. If you ever hit that point where you're like, oh, you know, I don't, I know enough. I don't, I don't need to go to classes. Then it's time to go.
0: Mm-hmm. So Brandon, you've had what? What'd you say? Twenty-two years in the fire service. Correct. correct? So, how did you get into the fire service? How did you find your way here?
1: Well, so I grew up in the fire service. Uh, my fire department was founded in 1986, so I was four years old at the time. <laughs> uh, my dad was uh, a city councilman uh, for the for the small town of Guilt Edge that we that we live in, and originally he had no uh, no ambitions of, of becoming a firefighter. He was just in charge of the committee to. I guess uh, essentially do the the feasibility of starting a volunteer fire department here in Edge. and so one thing led to another, and next thing he knows he's on the list, and he's taken the basic fire school, and you know, and, and of course everybody, you know, when the department founded, you know, they're started from scratch. Nobody had any any fire service background. Uh, maybe some folks had some training in the Navy or whatever, but but nobody had any formal fire service background so that is
0: interesting like just the thought of like no one having any any knowledge of anything
1: and and so they had a recruit class that was that was taught locally uh by uh by a member of a a neighboring fire department and they essentially you know they trained and you know instead of just a recruit class they literally trained a fire department from scratch in in 1986. um and so Mm -hmm with that, I just, I grew up around it. You know, like I say I was, I was four years old. I, I can still remember, you know, watching the station being built. I can remember, you know, several of the trucks, uh, you know, the, the first tanker or, or tender, if you're a NIMS <laughs> purist, um, you know, it was a home-built truck where they, uh, they went to, a, an estate, uh, auction and, and they bought a flatbed farm truck and a water tank and, you know, the firemen put it all together and, uh, you know, and, and that was the first tanker, and and then they purchased a used pumper, and, you know, a few years later, they expanded the station, added another tanker, another pumper, and so anyway, I, I just pretty much grew up around it, uh, you know, going to the station whenever there were calls, uh, you know, having to to entertain myself, you know, at the station as I got older when I was younger, uh, you know, my, my dad you know tries to forget some of this but i can remember being stuck in the middle seat you know as a bench seat on the pumper and uh, you know riding to fire calls um you know as a as a four or five six year old kid and and basically being told you sit right here you don't move you don't touch anything and you know and uh, and the pump operator engineer was uh, you know not only responsible for pumping the truck, but you know poking his head in the cab every now and then to make sure I wouldn't do anything I wasn't supposed to. So I, I literally had a windshield view of firefighting from you know page four or five onward. So man, you know, I- man, that I is it so was, cool. It, it it was. I mean, you think back on. It, I mean, of course, we could never. Some of that stuff we could never do today. Yeah. You know, it, but you know, getting to to ride the fire truck, not not like just in a parade, but actually getting to ride the fire truck to fires, you know, as a small kid, you know, you you didn't realize at the time, you know, I mean, you knew it was cool, but you just didn't realize how cool it was until you kind of got older and you look back on
0: it. And you were totally screwed from the beginning. You were definitely getting (sighs) into fire after that. I was
1: in, I was hooked. (laughs) I was hooked. Yeah.
0: So, so how did you yourself actually decide that you wanted to also be on the fire department?
1: Uh, so you know, Dad never pressured me at all. Uh, you know, it was 100% my decision. And so, in in 2000, uh, so I, I would have turned 18 there in August of 2000. And so, shortly thereafter, my uh, my 18th birthday, you know, I just I went to Dad. And was like, so uh, what? What do I do? What, how, what's the process? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Get me in and, there.
1: <laughs> and, and and so I joined up. And uh, and and I officially started in in October of 2000.
0: Cool so when you were when you got on what was the onboarding process like for you at that time because I'm sure times have changed especially you know and how we do things so what was it like for you going through?
1: So at at that time the the onboarding process you you filled out the application um, you know it, it would go through a normal you know process obviously you know it wasn't hard to check the references you know on, <laughs> on my towns. application you know oh, whatever well, yeah. and everybody on the department you know knew me since mm-hmm. i was you know a little kid uh but at that time you had to attend um so you filled out the application everything checked out uh you came to your first drill kind of got a little orientation you come to your second drill and, and basically after your second drill provided everything had checked out on your references you know congratulations welcome aboard um, So, I mean, a little bit of a process, but still not much of a process Mm -hmm. compared to today, where you know we're doing background checks, drug screenings, and uh, you know, like really doing in-depth reference checks, and 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 so on and so forth. And and so it's definitely changed a little bit uh, over the years, and in in a good way.
0: Yeah. Oh, that is that is really cool to hear the beginnings of that. So we'll get into more of your firefighter journey coming on, but. I want to get into a little bit of the chief Fletcher 901 for a second. So you, you started this year. We already mentioned that, right? So I want to know what pushed you to start it. You know, what, what was that driving force behind actually pushing that button saying it's out there and actually putting a name to what you've actually been doing for a few years, at least a few years, I guess. I don't even know how long have you been instructing?
1: Uh, Well, so I guess it depends on how you want to, to define it. So instructing locally, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can take that all the way back to probably 2003, 2004, mm-hmm. um, as far as, 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 maybe teaching a lesson at a, at a trail, um, you know, formerly teaching like recruits and, uh, and things like that probably 2012, 2013 is when I started helping out with uh, some recruit programs and then, uh, you know, we ended up developing our own recruit program and, and then also teaching like instructor and officer one and all that stuff locally, but inviting other departments to to join in on that. Um, through the military, uh, you know, they pretty much, you know, as a medic, so I was a medic in the Tennessee Army National Guard and so a lot of times when on a drill weekend or preparation for deployment, uh, the medical related task, you know, they would push to a medic. And, and so there's, you know, they, they have a task book for soldiers, much like we have in, in some areas of the fire department. And so, you know, you have to do a annual, semi-annual refresher on these different soldier tasks. And so the medical related tasks and a lot of the hazmat or what we would we call NBC
2: NBC. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so nuclear, biological, chemical—now known as c um, would fall to the medic. And and so, as early as 2002, I was I was teaching soldiers uh, to to perform those skills and validate those skills and checking those skills off. Now, as far as the traveling and, and teaching goes, uh, I co-taught a uh, basically a truckless truckie class. So truck work. Uh, whether you had a truck or not, in in 2016, at a regional conference um, here in, in West Tennessee, and so I guess that was kind of my first getting out of my local area
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and sharing skills and knowledge, um, and and it just kind of kind of took off a little bit uh, from there. So uh, I used to work at the FedEx Fire Department, and uh, there at the Memphis Airport, and so we hosted our working group, which is kind of like the uh, the firehouse or fdic for the arf world
2: oh that's and, cool uh, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and so so we hosted that and so that was i think that was in 20 2018 and and so i got to teach at that uh with a familiarization pro uh program on a uh, MD 11 uh so that was a little intimidating probably one of the more intimidating classes because you know here i am you know teaching MD 11 to all these our firefighters from all over the country all over the world you know, not knowing what they know about the <laughs> eleven, uh, and so uh, you know that that was that was definitely that was interesting. And then I just kind of started putting putting classes out there. So Tennessee River Weekend, you see me promote that conference pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that was where I I co taught the the truckless trucky class back at sixteen. So I had a couple of ideas. The you know shaping your volunteer fire department to meet today's expectations. Uh, that class kind of been building in my head as I was looking at what we did to build our fire department from where it was to what it is, and some of the steps that we took along the way, some of the lessons we learned along the way, some of the mistakes we made along the way, and, and kind of putting that together. And, and so I threw that out there, and, and they took it, they loved it, and, uh, you know, we, we had a, it was an awesome, awesome class, and, and everything just kind of manifested from there uh it, it just kind of took off i started putting in at, at other places uh, less lucert where i had come to i had come to less lucert i want to say in 2014 or 15 we counted it up last year <laughs> some <Something. laughs> i can't i
0: can't remember what we, we we counted for and i wish i would have been there that year that you came for the first time i've heard well, some stories
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it's a lot different showing up to a conference as a student than it is yeah. as an instructor so you know you could you could kind of cut loose a little bit more <laughs> Um, you know, but, uh, but yes, it was, uh, it was a pretty interesting, interesting time and, and, you know, talk about like really learning and experiencing the, the brotherhood and, of the fire service. So, mm-hmm. the, the, so the way that went down, uh, is we were looking at, uh, conferences and, and just trying to expand our knowledge there to build our fire department, uh, the first kind of outside of our local area or outside the state of Tennessee conference that we went to was actually the Metro Atlanta firefighter conference. And, um, and so we, we went there because the classroom sessions were free. So all we needed to do was, was come up with, you know, carpool hotel. So the, the chief at the time, uh, he's like, well, well Hey, we'll cover the, the department, we'll cover the hotel. And so we just, we hopped in my truck and we, we just took turns, you know, filling the gas tank, and we went to the Metro Atlanta Fire Conference and basically, you know, got to see in person all these folks that, you know, we had been listening to on the, uh, like the blog talk radio that uh, that Fire Engineering did. And, you know, we got to sit in their classes and it was just, it was cool, it was amazing. Uh, you know, we, we met Jim Duffy and, and PJ Norwood, who actually sat down and had lunch with us here. We were sitting at a little table. And, and I think at that point, I think maybe maybe I had I had just finished up in Jim Duffy's class, and I was going to PJ Norwood's class, and and so they just like, hey, are these seats taken? And like, no, no. Please,
0: please sit please down, sit down <laughs> please. <laughs> and,
1: and and they they sat down, and and we just and we hit it off, and we just and we started a relationship there that that has continued. We stay in touch. Uh, you know, Jim has been a, a mentor of mine. Uh, you know throughout my journey, uh, you know, through the fire service to, to uh, you know, from, at that time, I'm trying to remember, if I may have been training officer at that time, but so from training officer to chief, uh, and so he's always been somebody I can you know, shoot a message to, pick up the phone call, and so, so we did that, and so then we're looking, and we really, really, really wanted to see Mark Varnock, so mm-hmm. we had been, we had been following his stuff online. Uh, we had been adopting a lot of the stuff, the big four, and, and we were just like, we got to see him, you know, and, uh, and it's just was so weird. So the Les Luper conference popped up on a Facebook newsfeed and, you know, and of course Duffy and Norwood were going to be there, but Mark Bonhoeffer was going to be there. So i like, I sent it to the guys. I'm like, Hey, you know, who wants to go to Nebraska? I mapped it. It's like 13 hours, you know? <laughs> thinking that like, nobody's going to want to drive, you know, 13 hours to go to Nebraska and, and the same group that went to the Metro Atlanta fire conference, they're all like, Hey, we're in, we're in, let's go. (laughs) So, so we go to the chief and it's like, you know, and we didn't have a lot in the training budget at the time. And, uh, and so it's like, and I want to say, so February, so we're on the second half of a fiscal year. And, And so it's like, you know, Do we have enough money to cover this? Do we need to come up with it? And and so the he looked, and uh, he's like, "We really don't have enough money to cover the whole thing, but again, like we could do a split. We can, you know, we can do a, you know, we'll cover the hotel, and and you guys cover the conference, or vice versa, or whatever." So, so anyway, that's what we did. We loaded up. uh, We all piled into like one room there. In, uh, in the hotel there at Carney. And it wasn't the conference hotel. We learned a lesson. So from then on, we yeah. stayed at the conference hotel. I did that my um, first
0: year too. I will never do that again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so, so we come to, we come to Les Lukert, but what was so cool about that was uh, so there was a guy that I served with in the guard. So my, my first deployment we had, that was 0304. We had, uh, I can't remember if it was 13 or how many folks it was, we, we had a contingent from the Nebraska national guard that was attached to our unit. Um, and, and they filled in filled vacancies in our unit. And so I ended up becoming uh, pretty good buddies with, uh, with one of those folks, BJ Carlson, who at the time was a volunteer in Minden. Nebraska. Okay. And so he would tell me about this conference that, you know, was just right up the road in this place called Kearney, And, uh, you know, and I didn't think anything about it way back then. And, uh, and it kind of, it hit me when I saw that come out. I'm like, is that the same conference that he <laughs> was talking about? So anyway, I reach out to him, you know, I shoot him a message on Facebook. I'm like, Hey, that conference you used to talk about, was that the Les Rupert Winter conference? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, Hey, we're signed up and we're going. Well, you know, by this point he's moved on. I think he maybe was in Minnesota or something like that, mm-hmm. but he reached out to several of the folks on the board that he was friends with. And so the next thing we know, like Sonny O'Connor, uh, you know, Tim Linkey, uh, uh, uh Shane Smith, uh, like all these guys, Tim Zender, they're all reaching out, like sending us messages on Facebook, like, hey, you guys are really coming 13 hours from Tennessee? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. And, and so it was like, hey, if y'all have any problems, anything comes up, just let us know. Uh, and, and so like before we even got there, we already were feeling, like, welcomed. And so <laughs> yeah so so we roll in and i mean i swear it's like we rolled in like it, it, we were treated like celebrities it's like here are these here are these four guys that just drove 13 hours from tennessee and man everybody just like the hospitality it was just absolutely <laughs> it was unreal and, and and so like we literally we, we created friendships and bonds from that 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 have lasted ever since you know we, we see each other at fdic we see each other at other places Uh, you know, I think we had a run there where, let's see, so I came and then I brought other people with me at times, sometimes I came by myself, so, but I continued as a student uh, on through whichever year that that the conference had to take a break, and then I think COVID maybe stopped it the next year, well, then the following year, I'm coming back as an instructor, and so that was like, holy cow, you know, that was just, that was like coming full circle. Right. And so then mm-hmm. you know, I put it, I put in to, to come back the next year and, and not only, you know, do they accept my proposal, which is always a good feeling. Cause it's like, it's one thing to get selected. It's, it's another thing when they ask you to come back. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, they asked me to come back and then um, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was, if I remember. So, so Chris called me, I'm at TFAC at taking a class. And he's like, Hey, um, do you want to keynote the banquet? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, like (laughs) totally, totally, he caught me off guard and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can, I can do that. And so, um, so anyway, it just, it all came full circle. Uh, and then, and then the same thing with MAPC, um, it it all came full circle. You know, MAPC was the, the first conference that we went to out of state, like I said earlier, And then, you know, I put in a packet to teach there and and they accepted it and and brought me in. So I I got to teach here in the 2022 Metro Atlanta Firefighters Conference. So it's like, (laughs) talk about, you know, like bringing it full circle. You know, it's like, this is where the whole discovering conferences started. And now here I am, uh, I don't know, seven, six, seven years later, teaching at, you know, the same conferences that I first went to. as a student. So, and and I say all that to, to one say that, Hey, you just never know how things are going to turn out. But then Mm -hmm. also, you know, it is to, you know, if if a guy from guilt edge Tennessee can find himself teaching and speaking at the national level, then then there's no reason why, if that's something that you want to do that, that you can't set yourself up for success and make that happen.
0: You just got to do it. You just got to put your name out there. You just have to submit the class. You just have to start talking to people. You have to start networking and and making these connections and making friends with people. That's all you have to do. I mean, the worst people can say is no. And, and even if it is a no, I mean, it's just, you just try somewhere else again. You know, you just keep, keep going.
1: So on that, so several things. So, so one, a lot of success is built on relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and so sometimes, you know, people get upset with that, especially if you don't have the right relationships, you know, Oh, you know, it's rigged. It's not blah, 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 blah. All right. So you got to, like you said, you got to put yourself out there. You got to talk to people, you got to meet people Mm -hmm. and you never know when something is going to happen just because you had a conversation and I'll come back to that and kind of tell a story about that. That just, it just bored me. Um, but then also, yes, you, you can't be afraid of being told no. Mm-hmm. And, and that's in anything. All right, Whether you want to put yourself out there to teach a class or to speak or whether it's writing grants, uh, you know, we, we get a lot. So when you get a lot of success, whether you're as an individual or as a team, there's always a target on your back. Yeah. Okay. Kurt, Kurt Isaacson has to say embrace the target. And, and I 100 percent agree. So. When you start having success as an individual, like people want you to be successful. They just don't want you to be more successful than them. You know, that's the folks, you know, in your in your yeah. area, you know, and, and a lot of it's an ego stuff. And, you know, people feel threatened and so on and so forth. You know, it, it, if you if you got friends, so, so a buddy of mine, Justin Bailey and I, we joke, you know, we can be such good friends because neither one of us are threatened by each other because we're not next to each other. We're on completely opposite ends of the state. So nobody's comparing him to me. Nobody's comparing him, you know, uh, him to me or me to him, you know? And and so we can just pick up the phone and and just like, pretty much just like let it all flow, whatever's going on, whatever's got us frustrated, (laughs) whatever's got, you know, Hey, what do you think? What would you do here? Um, but same thing as a, as a team as a high performing team. And if you don't believe me, look at the sports teams out there. Okay. And you've got the diehard fans of this team, the diehard fans of that team. And it's very, very rare that somebody will, you know, you know, we'll just, all right. So if you're a Nebraska fan, who's Nebraska's uh, biggest rival?
0: The uh, biggest rival, I'm going to say Iowa.
1: Okay, we'll we'll go with that. I'm actually, so
0: it's terrible because I'm actually not a football fan. So, you know, but. (laughs)
1: Okay, well, well, let's just go Nebraska and Iowa. So, you know, if, if you're a diehard Nebraska fan, you know, you're probably not going to acknowledge any success or anything that Iowa is doing well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so, you know, I look at it. So from my perspective, I'm a Tennessee fan who bleed orange and white Tennessee balls all the way. Right. But I <laughs> use a lot of Nick Saban quotes. Now I'll tell you on, on game day, I despise the university of Alabama. I would just as soon see the university of Alabama lose every football game that they play. Okay. But, but that doesn't happen. Okay, and the reason it doesn't happen is because of the team all right, not just the players, but the coaching staff and the process that the University of Alabama and Nick Saban has put together. And so I will use a lot of Nick Saban's uh, quotes and, and leadership material, because it's obviously a proven strategy that works. Now, when you hear the naysayers, you know, they want to say, oh, he was unsuccessful in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins, and, you know, oh, he does this, and, oh, he does that. You know, well, if he was your coach, you wouldn't be saying all that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and so, and that's the same thing. So Alabama sits on that pedestal, and so most everybody that's not an Alabama fan is excited to see Alabama get knocked off that pedestal, okay? That's just the reality, and it doesn't matter. We can switch to baseball, Okay you know, you've got Yankees fans and then you got the whole rest of baseball that absolutely despise the Yankees, okay? <laughs> yes. You know, and, 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 you can, and you can go to other regions and see the same thing, okay? So when an organization achieves success, unless you're a part of that organization, you know, you start to get a little jealous,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay? It's the same thing with fire departments. It shouldn't be. We're all on the same team, okay? But when you see one fire department really starting to take off, really start to do stuff, Okay. There, there's either, okay, Hey, what are they doing? And what can we do? And, and you either, you know, adapt and you do that or you're like, Oh, this much work. It's a whole lot easier just to, just to hate them. And, well, and that comes up drama. with drama.
0: That comes up with the fire departments too, with firefighters on the individual
1: level all the time, absolutely. all the time. As- absolutely. So you have one rock star firefighter, two rock star firefighters. Mm-hmm. They're doing everything that's in asked of them and beyond and then you've got the folks that, you know, are just there for the t-shirt or just want to do the bare minimum. Okay. And and they don't want to celebrate the success of those individuals because individual success equals team success. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've got to have high performing individuals. So to go back to coach Saban, coach Saban uses the quote, you know, mediocre people don't like high achievers and high achievers don't like mediocre people. And that is absolutely true. Okay. So when you've got a group of high achievers, One, they're going to gravitate to each other because they have that common ground, okay? So it's going to put a a disconnect or separation between those that are satisfied with mediocrity. Well, those that are satisfied with mediocrity are going to come together because, again, that common bond, Mm -hmm. okay? So now I've got two groups, all right? And within those two groups, they're both going to resent each other. The Mediocre folks are going to resent the high achievers because the high achievers are making them look bad. Okay, the high achievers are going to resent the mediocre folks because the high achievers feel like they're carrying the weight of the organization and the mediocre folks are just riding the coattails. Mm -hmm. So how do you mesh those groups together? And I'll give you a secret. The answer is not lowering the standard. Okay, and that is the biggest mistake that so many fire departments, so many fire chiefs make is they want to lower the standard or they're scared to raise the standard. Well, if I raise the standard, people will leave. Yeah. Yeah okay
0: you hear that all the, the people, time all the time those are the
1: people you want to leave okay mm-hmm. if, if you're going to leave the fire department because we raised the standard then bye thank you for your service turn your stuff in don't let the door hit you on the way out that's how I view that okay I will take quality over quantity any day of the week the other thing that you hear so many fire departments and fire chiefs are so scared oh, well, I won't have a full roster, I, you know, I, you know I, I need to have X number of people on the roster. Well, here's the thing. If I got 30 people on the roster, which would be a dream in an area like mine, okay, but if I get 30 people on the roster, but only 10 of them show up consistently, what what hurts if 15 of them walk out? Because the 15 that walk out aren't going to be the 10 that show up consistently, And the remaining five are either going to get with the program or they're going to trickle out the door as well. If I've got 10 people carrying a group of 30 and 20 of those folks walk out the door, have we really lost anything? Mm -hmm. We we haven't lost anything. You know, it's still the same people. Like when I generally have people leave the department, I don't ever have a high performer just in the middle of their peak performance just Walk out the door and say, I'm done.
0: Unless there's a problem with the organization. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, yeah. So, so when somebody walks out the door, they might in their own mind think they're a high performer, but I assure you they're not. When somebody walks out the door, it's been my experience as cheap going back to 2015, when somebody walks out the door, right, they may have been a high performer at one point. Okay. Probably not, but it's possible. Okay. They have usually slacked off they have, it's usually a process so so you know maybe they were meeting the standard maybe even exceeding a little bit okay and they start to slack off well when we see that slack off we go talk to them hey what's going on you know is there something at home is there something at work is there something going on is there anything we can do to basically make life easier for you okay mm-hmm. because I pay attention to that if I've got somebody that is is, is is doing what we ask them to do and suddenly they stop asking or stop doing what we ask them to do we, we sit down and we have a conversation okay and, and that's if one of the officers doesn't catch it first okay so generally when folks leave the organization they have tapered off to the point where the rest of the organization has already picked up their slack so when they finally make that decision that you know i'm, I'm going to leave the impact is minimal to the team because the team's already been carrying their weight for the last three or four months. Okay, that so I, I don't get too worked up over you know oh folks are going to walk out the door because you have a high standard. Right, mm-hmm. I am recruiting folks that either are high achievers or want to be high achievers. Okay, if when I sit down with a new recruit, I literally like I put everything out there in front of them. Like, this is all the training that we are going to require you to do. This is how much time this is going to take. You know, because I, I really, if there's any doubt in your mind, I want you to say, hey, this is not for me, or mm-hmm. take the application and just not come back. Okay. I don't want there to be this, oh, we're all giddy and excited. And we want to be a firefighter and, and you know, bam, oh, it hits manger. you in the face. Just
0: and oh. and,
1: and we're out. we're halfway <laughs> through your training where we have committed time of our people to conduct that training. And you're like, Oh, this is for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. You know, so now like three or four or five, six folks that, can, that, that put on your training just wasted their time. Okay. and We're out, whatever, whatever we invested, whether it's time, whether it's money and energy, you know, all three. Uh, so I, I make that push for, you know, look, we're a high performing organization, we want high performers in the organization we're not recruiting mediocrity here.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and so when I travel and teach and I teach that class, that is a point that I that I drive home in the volunteer fire service. Quality over quantity. You know, generally it's the same story. All right. John Salka says the same circus different plans, Okay. Mm-hmm. I gosh, I wish I could like take credit for that. But but because <laughs> I because it's so true. If you travel and you go, it, it doesn't matter, pay, combination, volunteer. You know, every fire department has the same problems. It's just, it may fluctuate in the severity of the problem, depending on, you know, the local politics. Is it a volunteer department? Is it a paid department? So on and so forth. But everybody deals with the same problems. And you go from volunteer department to volunteer department, and there is a consistency there. Okay, we've got X number of people on the roster. Okay, so of the people on the roster, how many consistently show up?
0: And it's funny because okay. that is the question that everyone always asks. And even before you said that question, I knew exactly what question you were going to ask.
1: Yeah, and, and it's the same. And it's usually, a, you know, most places, 50%. Okay, it, there's some places that it, that, it, that it's higher as far mm-hmm. as, you know, active participants. And usually those places have high standards. Um, and and so uh, it just, it, it's funny that you sit there and you think, oh, my organization, you know, we've got the worst problems in the world, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. You've got the same problems that everybody else has, you mm-hmm. know, and, and and the difference is how you deal with it and how you manage it. And so you you have to have a leader that's willing to put themselves out there. Now, some of that's compounded because a lot of volunteer departments elect their officers. Yeah. Okay. So if you make an unpopular decision, you know, you raise the standard, you know, maybe people don't leave, you know, maybe they they get mad and they vote you out at the next election. And so I'm fortunate that I sit in a position as a municipal fire chief that I'm appointed by the mayor and board of Alderman. Uh, So just like a career fire department, except we're volunteer fire department. Uh, So so we don't have a private board. We don't have, you know, our board is the mayor and board of Alderman. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so with that, I am in a position to to be able to do a lot of stuff that that not every volunteer fire chief can do. So I appoint my officers. There's no election, okay? I set the standard. Now I take input from my from my command staff and firefighters on that, but we we have a standard, you know, of minimum qualifications that you must meet to even be considered for an officer position or an engineer position in the department. And then just because you hold the qualification on paper, the certificate, doesn't equal an automatic appointment to that position. And, yeah. and that's like well, the chief, the, the SOGs say that, you know, sergeant or lieutenant or captain's gotta have this, 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 and this. Well, I've got all that.
2: You do. Congratulations. You do.
1: <laughs> you know, and and with a little bit of growth and development, maybe you'll be the right person for the next opening. Um, but you know, it, it's just like in recruiting the high performers. You know, okay, so you've met the minimum standard, right? That's the minimum standard, mm-hmm. the minimum standard, and that and that's what folks don't get. They they think that they get a certification, and and now that's that's the end all be all. You know, and I've had this conversation with with a lot of folks in the special operations discipline. Okay, Jake Hoffman, another uh, regular there at the Les Lupert Winter Conference. Okay. We, we probably do more text and, and phone calls on, you know, rope and technical rescue and USAR stuff than anybody can imagine, all right and, and so in entering that special operations technical rescue world uh, with our department and becoming educated and learning uh, about that, I mean, obviously I have a lot of questions and, and of course he's a great resource. And something that I've noticed is when we send folks to like rope one and two or rope ops and tech as it is in the current standard, same thing with trench and confined space and structural collapse and so on and so forth. You know, and, unless your department's like really, really, really heavy into that, you know, you come out of that and you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a trench technician. I'm a rope technician. I'm a whatever, you know, that's the end all be all. That is the highest certification in that particular discipline that you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Now let's rewind. Okay, because prerequisite for all that are your firefighter certifications. So you go to a recruit academy, you come out of that recruit academy with hazmat awareness, hazmat ops, firefighter one, firefighter two, okay, both the big four certifications that you need in the fire service to get rock and roll, okay, throw in an EMT, you know, basic advanced or paramedic, and you pretty much you got a job anywhere in the country that you want to go. hmm now, as a fire service, we're pretty good at recognizing that you come out of the recruit academy. Now you are certified to the highest level of firefighter certification that exists. Okay. Firefighter two. Okay. But Unless, uh, some individual states have, you know, some yeah. some stuff beyond that. But you know, in the in the world of IFSAC Pro Board, you know, accreditations. Okay, you hold the highest certification level of firefighter if you've got that firefighter too. Yet you show up on company or you show up at your volunteer house and generally speaking, most places are like, okay, cool. That's the baseline. That's the baseline. Okay, You, you did every skill at least once and demonstrated mastery of every skill at least once. All right, that's not enough repetition to make you an expert or or to be considered mastery of skill. So why don't we look at it the same way in in the other disciplines? Okay. Most places that do a hazmat technician certification require some sort of continuing education to maintain a hazmat technician certification, Mm -hmm. right? Everything from EMR all the way to paramedic requires continuing education. To maintain that certification in the medical world.
0: But there's no sort of, yeah, there's no sort of continuing education that's had for fire service.
1: Not that's required across the board. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of places, so like Tennessee does a, an incentive uh, program, so career firefighters, I think, get around $900. Volunteers get around $600. Uh, career firefighters have to do 40 hours of continuing ed. Volunteers have to do 30 hours of continuing ed each year. And so you know, but that's a voluntary program. Okay, mm-hmm. you do the you do the program, you get a little cash at the end of the year from the state. Okay, and, and I mean, okay, that's cool. You know, little carrot and stick method. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't require every department to participate. So yes. some departments do it, some departments don't, and then of course you know the folks that do do it. Not every department is like oh, here I am. I got to do this to get my little state paycheck at the end of the year. So it's not like they're there because they want to be. They're there because mm-hmm. they feel like they have to be or they're there for the incentive, which is the money at the end of the year, which I suppose is still better than not being there at all in some cases.
0: Yeah, but it, it, then do you actually retain that information of the, of the exactly. classes you're going to? If if you're in that mindset of just in it for that paycheck at the end of the year, are you actually going to pay attention to these classes or are you just going to sit and be a warm seat?
1: And and my answer to that is most likely you're going to sit and be a warm seat. But my hope, okay, my little naive hope <laughs> is that that maybe something sticks. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe you get a quality enough instructor in front of you that you come in there pissed off, not wanting to be there, and you have a good enough instructor that pulls you in and actually gets you involved, and you walk away from there glad that you came. Now we yeah. all know the reality is that that does not always happen. Yeah. Okay. But You know, that's my naive hope is that you at least take something away, even if you're not happy to be there. So Mm -hmm. uh I'll stop and breathe for a minute.
0: (laughs) We have gone so far down down the rabbit hole into Wonderland, it is awesome. I am I am thoroughly enjoying this. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, when you said that rabbit holes were encouraged, I'm like,
2: oh, here we go.
1: (laughs) We'll see. Cause, cause I can definitely, I can definitely snip those out. So, yeah.
0: So I got to get your opinion on something. Sure. So uh, when it comes to having the people who are there all in it, you know, putting everything into it um, that can be relied on and counted on, I'm curious, do you hold, uh, I don't know how about what best want to phrase this when it comes to operational work and organizational work. Do you have different, not maybe not different standards, but different feelings when it comes to members that are, you know, they come to a decent amount of the calls, but they aren't necessarily the great performer there, but they do more on the operational or on the organizational side and vice versa. The firefighters who are there, who are doing an awesome job and always are on every call, but they don't do as much on the organizational side. I kind of want to get your thoughts around that whole thing. So I know it's not quite a question, but
1: so I, I think that that kind of ties into something that that I have to remind my folks of from time to time, is that that everybody's one hundred percent is going to look different.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so so if you've got somebody that's uh, young, single, no, you know like maybe they haven't like found their career, you know that they they maybe you know kind of have a job that's just a job for a while. Uh, and, and so they're all in, they're dedicated to the fire service. They got nothing else happening in their life. They're at the station pretty much every waking hour that they have free time. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can't compare that person's contribution to the person who is, you know, say a mid-level manager in their career. And, and it's like, it, it's a serious deal and, and they've got, you know, family and kids and the kids are all involved in different activities and all that. And and I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, having all that stuff going on in your life is an excuse to not participate in your fire department, but it's, it's obvious. You you can't expect the same level of Mm -hmm. participation from that individual that has that career, family, kids and other obligations as you can from, that individual that doesn't have anything, and I say young single person. I mean, it, it could be anybody, just with a different structure or shut up in, in their life. Yeah. And so you have to recognize that that everybody's 100% looks different, and everybody's strengths and weaknesses are different. Okay, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, and, and this is the one thing you know, th- there is a difference between a paid fire department and a volunteer fire department. There is. Okay. Now, I think I think you're crazy
0: if you don't think there is a difference. There is a difference.
1: Yeah, the fire doesn't care. Okay, so training-wise, we should be training to the same standard. Okay, but the reality is, okay, your volunteers are there because they want to be. Okay, there's something that drives them and motivates them. Okay, and and everybody's drive and motivation is going to be different. Okay, some want to literally they want to serve and help their community. They want to give back, and this is their outlet for giving back. Okay, some people want to chase the adrenaline rush. Okay, fine. Some people want to get the skills and the certifications and some experience to maybe do this full time as a career. You know, the, the motivations for being there are endless. But at the end of the day, they don't have to be there. They are mm-hmm. not tied to that fire station, you know, because they have to have a paycheck. Okay, and so you go to the career side, and you've got crappy leadership, uh, that that you know don't take care of the members now. Will those members eventually you know, leave? Yes, probably so. But they're not just going to walk out the door in most instances because most of them cannot afford to. Yeah. Okay. They're going to start looking for other jobs. It's going to be a slower process. Okay. Whereas a volunteer can simply just drop their stuff off and walk out the door at any moment. So with that, you still maintain a high standard, but how you enforce that high standard, you've got to be a little bit more tactful and and people centered okay and and people don't have a problem with discipline and order matter of fact most people prefer discipline and order
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: when they know that you are holding them accountable for their own benefit and the public's benefit they tend to accept it a whole lot more than if you if they think that you're just out there just just being an asshole (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay. yeah
1: but but i mean if you're just if you're just being a jerk they're they're going to see that okay they're also going to see if, if they know that you're holding them accountable because you care about them they're also going to see that and and they're going to receive it a whole lot differently and, and the thing is here's the secret that, that so many folks don't don't understand they're like oh oh you're a fire chief of a volunteer fire department like that's some sort of you know like little slide or little dig. Oh, just, just a volunteer. Yeah. Okay. And and so it's like, you know, if you would take the principles of volunteer leadership and apply them to a paid fire department, can you imagine the success that you would achieve the morale, you know, which is a metric by the way, that nobody wants to talk about, There are a few folks talking about it, but generally speaking, (laughs) nobody wants to talk about because here's the problem with that. Okay. It it goes right along with, you know, we will save more lives through fire prevention and community risk reduction than we ever will pulling people out of burning buildings. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's
0: it's a fact. It honestly is a fact.
1: And, And we can accept it, even though we cannot back that up with numbers. Now, you know, keep the whole statement in perspective. I'm not saying that we shouldn't train on search. I'm not saying that we shouldn't put victims first, okay? I'm not saying that we're not there for them. We are. We are there for them. We should be training on search. I love the search reformation, okay? We should be absolutely searching every single piece of survivable space that we can find inside of a structure, Mm -hmm. okay? Whether we got to enter it through a window, whether we got to enter it through a front door, I don't care, okay? Absolutely 100% committed to that. All right. But I'm also 100% committed to community risk reduction on top of that. So I can't sit there and say, you know, we can track when we install smoke detectors, okay, that, hey, this smoke detector that we installed alerted these occupants and they were able to get out. And so, you know, we can call that a safe. Okay. Mm -hmm. do we do we know that they wouldn't have woken up and gotten out if the smoke detector wasn't there? No, we we know that the probability is less of survival if there's no smoke detector. So we can kind of we can track that to a degree. All right. But I can't always track that, you know, hey, we went and did this fire prevention presentation at this organization. And that because of that, we prevented a kitchen fire from ever occurring because there's no way to know that.
0: Yeah, there's okay? no way to know that the fire would have happened or wouldn't have happened.
1: And so you flash back to morale as a metric. Well, I don't have a, a spreadsheet or a pie chart or you know something that I can put up in front of you and say, this is the morale of your fire department. Okay, you can do some things like some surveys and individual sit down conversations with folks and, and kind of gauge it. But I feel like in this world of data and numbers, that that we just were so obsessed by the the the, uh, the quantitative data and making decisions off of that that we basically ignore anything that we cannot produce quantitative data for. So you look at morale, and nobody really stops and examines that. Okay, so so morale is absolutely a metric. So when when you treat people right, okay, going back to old Mark Von Oppen. You know, do your job, treat people right, all out effort, all in attitude. So when you're doing all of that, okay, and and the morale steps up, man, now on the career side, you you pay them a good wage, you provide them good benefits, they've already got the greatest job on the face of the planet. Yeah. (laughs) and And then you treat them right. The possibilities are endless the possibilities are absolutely endless. So, and, and that's just that whole concept is just missed by so, so many people.
0: Well, it's, it's so tough. I could only imagine being a, a career chief or in the leadership of the career side, just, and, you know, you have some of this where you do have a city board to, to talk, you know, that, that is who is above you. That is who you, who you um, answer to and stuff like that. But like having them to answer to having your people to answer to having to figure it all out and make sure you stick with the budget, make sure you stick with all this stuff and, and, you know, make sure that people actually want to have a good job there. and just putting it all together. That must be a nightmare. Honestly. I don't
1: understand why anybody wants to be a fire chief. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, it's the truth. I mean, when, when the job was kind of thrust onto me, I, I was not ready. And I, I said that, I was like, I'm not ready. I don't want to be the fire chief. I'm a deputy chief. I love being the deputy chief because you always get that one more step to kick it up to. Uh, you know, when it hits your desk, you're just like, "Hey, chief!" You know, uh, deputy chiefs always the, or assistant chief, whatever your organization calls it, the number two spots, always the best spot because usually you, you know, unless you work for a micromanager or something like that, you usually have a lot of the operational control of mm-hmm. the organization but then you, you, you always got that that one person you could pick the phone up and call if it is, you know, <laughs> there's some benefits to it, but so, I mean, oh, sorry, I worked no, through, I, I, I work through it, you know, I mean, and here I am. So, uh, you know, but but yeah, I, I really wanted to like spend a few years in that number two role before ever even thinking about jumping to the number one spot.
0: So if this isn't too much into it, why, if, if you can't see why people would do it, why did you take the job then? I'm curious.
1: Well, uh so what, what was your thought
0: process behind that? I don't know, like
1: <laughs> so it, it it was basically so the chief at the time, um he had uh he had reached a promotion point in his career and, and so he did a lot of really, really high, high dollar contracted work. Um mm-hmm. worked work for for a company that that does like multi-million dollar projects. And, and so he, he had kind of bumped up into that. Um you know, the the fire chief's role, you know, I thought I thought he was doing great. You know, he, he felt like he wasn't able to participate enough. Uh, you know, he was great at handling the administrative side, uh, you know, making sure the bills were paid, you know, get getting approval for stuff. Uh, but but he felt bad because he wasn't able to put in the time and, and be visible to make the calls, you know, that that he felt like he should as the fire chief um and, and we understood that and, and and the thing was like nobody was bad like nobody was like oh man chief's never here blah 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 you know I, everybody understood it's like hey he has promoted up in his you know full-time job to where he can't show up for everything like he could before mm-hmm. uh you know but he was still getting all the administrative stuff done and so i, I begged him and begged him, like, Stay on as the chief. I mean, you had basically he had given operational control to myself as the deputy chief and and the, to the captain who's now the deputy chief, uh, and and so it's like, all right, this is a good system. Let, let's let's keep it going. And anyway, he he was like, no. He said uh, he said I'm going to tender my resignation effective whatever date, and I'm going to recommend to the council that you know that you be the fire chief and so i was like okay okay all right so i'm negotiating now you know it's like the the stages of grief you know the mm-hmm. you know, denial and you know so so now i'm like okay so this is like the middle of the fiscal year i was like w- would you stay on at least till june 30th so that i can start as fire chief on a fresh budget cycle okay and so he he agreed with, you know, he, he, he agreed to stay on until the June 30th of, of 2015. And I would take over as chief on July 1st, which is our fiscal year, um, in, in the city and, and a lot of places in Tennessee operate that way. Um, and so that was, that was all I could talk about, talking about, um, but I mean, as far as, uh, you know, why did I take the position, uh, one, I'm, I'm not sure that I fully understood just everything that I was getting into um you know I had a pretty good handle on the operational side of it because I, I come from the training officer position to the deputy chief role and was still kind of driving the training we didn't necessarily have a dedicated training officer at that point so I was still kind of filling that training officer role and because I was around and available you know making a lot of the calls so operationally you know I was in command of most incidents um so I got that part. But you see, all oh, that part's the fun part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's the sexy part of, of, of the, the chief officer role, still getting to go and, and, and play. Um I I had no idea what I was moving into on the administrative side uh, as far as tracking budgets and purchases. And and you know, I talked to a few folks and I came up with a few systems like so I would I run a spreadsheet. Uh, where I track all purchases in real time. So when I make a purchase, uh, whether it's invoice, PO, credit card, whatever, you know, I, I have the entire budget online items and spreadsheets. And I know there's there's software programs that can do that, but if you know how to use Excel, you can also build it yourself and not Yeah, have
0: to, a to lot put, cheaper.
1: Yeah, <laughs> not have to pay for all that. So, you know, prior to that, and there's still a lot of places that do this, um, you know, it was, the, the the town reporter kept all of the the numbers as far as what had been spent in each line item, and so like sometimes like if you had a big purchase, are you that's email or call. Uh, you know, I know one town not very far up the road, they still kept a, uh, a paper ledger mm-hmm. for the budget, and so like the fire chief would have to call over to city hall to get somebody to look in the ledger to see how much money was left in the line item before they made a purchase, and I'm like. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, think, I think I can simplify that. So anyway, I, I got my little spreadsheet. And so I, I'm able to track that. But, you know, you just didn't know all the politics, you know, the you know, working with other chiefs and other organizations and other departments, the state, you know, fire chiefs and, and, and just politics from every level from national state to local. Um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to to be the fire chief where I am. And, and it's, it's one of the reasons I'm not in a, a huge hurry or, or really even looking to leave or, or go anywhere. You know, I entertained the idea a couple of times. And each time, you know, I end up like probably not going to find any place where I've got it as good as I have it here. Mm-hmm. And so um, so, I, so I'm very fortunate on that end. I mean, I, I see other places, uh, you know, there, there's other there's jobs that come open. Locally, you know, in different areas and, and folks will call them and say, hey, you, you apply for that. I'm not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I can give you a whole list of reasons why. I'm <laughs> not going not gonna to deal with that mess. You know, congratulations to whoever gets it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it's, it is a lot of headache. You know, the political side. I'm very, I have a very supportive board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have very, very few issues to worry about there. You know, but not everybody's got that. You go to some places, and whether it's a, a you know a volunteer board of directors or a mayor and board of alderman, you know you've got folks with their own agendas. You got folks that you know, okay, they don't like you, so they're going to take every opportunity to try to make you look
2: bad. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I mean, to the point where it just is it even worth doing? Um, you know, and, and again, like taking over the fire chief's role is you know, a lot of it has to do with the organization that you're also taking over, you know? So I was also very fortunate to to take over an organization that, you know, I had been a part of, you know, I say rebuilding, if you will. Uh, so from the 2013, 2014 time frame to 2015 when I became fire chief. So, you know, you knew what you were getting into. Okay, in in reality, the only thing that was changing on my end was now I have the responsibility for the budget administrative side of things. And and so that's a little different than coming in as a brand new person in an unknown environment, uh, you know, to be the fire chief in a a career Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to say the w- reason I was willing to do it is, is because I, I at least felt like to a degree, I had an idea of what I was getting into and I was willing to take that on. Um, you know, are there days where I was like, man, I sure wish I was a fireman and just a fireman. Absolutely. Absolutely. But at the same time, um, I'm proud of, of the team that I get to serve as chief and I love what we're accomplishing. And I I just I don't want to leave that, you know. So I mean I'm I'm just I'm just happy and excited to be a part of it and and that uh that I can still be involved in the level that I am.
0: It's like I know you've kind of got thrown into it, but honestly, I think it's kind of nice the fact that you weren't pushing for that spot. Not that it's saying that there's anything wrong with people who do look be chief officers. There's nothing wrong with that. If you know what you want, you're good at it and you're, you know how to make it all work. I think it's a good goal to strive for too. But the fact that you weren't trying to go for it, that you kind of got, you know, nudged into it a little bit more than nudged, you know, but sure. it really helps keep you grounded to everything that's happening on the other side that really helps keep you a part of, okay, what do the men and women in your organization, what do they need? What do they want? What do they feel like? You're really connected to that. And you've been doing this for what, seven years? Is that what I kind of caught?
1: Yeah. So so July 1st, 2015 is when I started as the chief. Okay. Uh, so before that, I was a deputy chief for about a year. And before that, I was training officer for uh, some amount of time, uh, around a year or so. And before that, I was just firefighter EMT because I was always bounced around, you know, Mm -hmm. I I was doing stuff with the guard. I was deployed. I was college. I, you know, I I was here, but like, I wasn't here all the time. And so once I kind of came back here and, and was grounded to guilt edge, uh, then, then my involvement really, really, really stepped up. But no, I, I, I I never, I'm not going to say that I never envisioned being chief someday, but, Mm -hmm. I never envisioned being chief as soon as, as that happened. So but 20, 2015, I would have been what, uh, 30, 33. Yeah. So I didn't, I I was not expecting to be a fire chief at 33. I had no desire to be a fire chief at 33. Oh yeah.
0: Most people for Uh, volunteer departments, they're not thinking about that yet. At that point, 33, most of them are still thinking, okay, firefighter or captain of some sort. They're not yeah. thinking about getting into those higher roles.
1: I, I was happy to have a, you know, a company officer or even a chief officer role, but you know, I, I looking downrange, you know, I i never even imagined that that fire chief would even be something that I would concern myself with until maybe in my forties or mm-hmm. something, you know, I mean, it just, so, so it was kind of, you know, unexpectedly thrust upon me uh, yeah. when it, when it happened. And like you said, I've seen places, I've seen people where folks are driven, you know, they're making that push. They're, they're, you know, they want to be the chief and, and I'm not saying that wanting to be a fire chief somewhere someday is bad. That's not what I'm saying at all, but sometimes folks get a little too ruthless and cutthroat to try to rush the process. Yeah. And a lot of times I, I don't see those folks being successful in that role. You know, doesn't mean they don't hold that role forever. And in their own mind, they think that they're the best fire chief that you know has ever existed. But then when you kind of talk to the membership of the organization, and, you know, it's a toxic environment, it's a micromanaging environment because somebody that's willing to, to just push people out of the way. Now there are times that sometimes people need to be nudged, mm-hmm. okay, because they have they have used up their usefulness in the position that they are in. But then how do you go about that? Do you go about that in a dignified, and respectable way? Okay.
0: Well, the problem is that looks different to every person too, of what's dignified and respectable.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Or do you just straight up stab them in the back? Yeah. You know, and and you see that time and time and time again. Now there's some people, you may try to do the dignified and respectful way, and they're just like, nope, I'm not going, I will die in this position. Mm -hmm. And so then what do you do? You know, and and those are the questions that I get asked when I travel and I I teach at these different volunteer uh, departments or conferences and stuff is, you know, you've got somebody that's been there since day one. They've got 50, 60 years in the the fire department and like everybody loves them and respects them for their service, but they're in that position where, they're grounded that they're setting their ways. You know, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way that it's worked forever and ever and ever. I don't want to change anything. And, and they end up, you know, pushing folks away. They end up pushing the, the folks that want to change the high performers, you know, because they don't support them. They don't support any kind of change. They don't, you know, they want to do the same thing that they've always done. Yeah, And I use the phrase, because my organization was founded in 1986, you know, I use the phrase, it's not 1986 anymore, okay? If we were still doing business in, in 2022, the way we did business in 1986, we would not have a fire department, okay? Not to say that what they did in 1986 was wrong. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was It was right for 1986. But as society changes so much the volunteer fire department if we're going to continue to have volunteer fire departments. And yes, there are places where, depending on the demographic and the call volume, that volunteer it can still fire work. protection may work. It may not be the right answer anymore. It may be time to gravitate towards a paid department, but there's a lot of places when volunteer fire service is absolutely still a valid answer, okay, mm-hmm. but it, it's going to be unavailable it's going to be not an option if we don't continue to shape our departments which is where again that whole class came from shaping your volunteer fire department to meet today's expectations and so in that class we get leadership we get training we get recruitment retention and marketing okay five things we don't spend an equal amount of time on all five uh because some of them can be summed up really 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 quick but those are the five key things that if you know, I feel like if you don't adjust your, your fire department's going to adapt. Yeah, and, and it's, it's going to be non-existent. And then, and then what's going to happen, because there's a lot of places like I've Edge, as an example where there is not enough money to, to run a paid fire department.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. If, if you lost the volunteer fire department, you know, then what?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and what would happen?
1: And there's a lot of places that are that are absolutely like that. And, and, and you know, you would be back in the days you know, when the fire department was founded. So if you look around my area, most of your volunteer fire departments outside of the of the bigger cities of the county were founded in you know, 84, 85, 86, 87, because it was around about that time that insurance companies would not give homeowners insurance to folks living out in the unincorporated areas or the smaller incorporated areas because there was no fire protection in existence in those areas. And so that's where you started to kind of see a lot of these volunteer fire departments founded in the early to mid 80s in, in Tennessee was because of that. Okay, so then what happens when you lose that volunteer fire protection? Okay, what happens, you know, if this station goes out, yeah, you can contract at this station at this station to, to meet in the middle to kind of cover that, but, but What's that do to insurance? You know, especially to insurance companies that utilize an ISO rating. Yeah. You know, because you you have a you're a ten now in, in this area because you're more than you know x number of miles, five miles or whatever from the fire station, uh, you know some places you know even further than that. Like I so, don't even know how it works in like places like Nebraska <laughs> where you guys have like fire districts that are you know hundreds, if not thousands, of square miles you know, and there's a station right here and they're responding all the way out here, you know, which I get <laughs> it. There's not a lot of houses, you know, it's mostly like grass and brush and, and stuff like that. But, you know, Still. what what does ISO and, and uh, you know, insurance premiums look like in, in those areas for fire protection?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think it's something that uh, not enough of this, us regular firefighters We don't know enough about that. We don't understand enough about the ISO ratings. We don't know how it affects us as a fire department and the public. They have no reason to know that. I can guarantee you most people I know, if I told them about ISO ratings and that it affects their insurance, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And they don't know the fact that they have a volunteer department in their town helps them out. They don't realize that, you know, what the response time is or what they have on the rigs or anything helps that out and actually increases, you know, increases the standings that actually lowers everything. They have no idea. So that's just another way in the thousands of ways that are affecting volunteer departments right now is the public doesn't know that they have no idea. So they don't know that we're this is another part of the battle we're fighting.
1: And so it's hard to, uh, it's hard to explain sometimes, because like you said, a lot of times fire departments don't fully understand how it works. But, you know, part of that public education, Mm -hmm. you know, marketing of your fire department is not just, hey, look at us, you know, we're out, you know, all all the the community risk reduction side of things. Some of it is actually educating the public on this is what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, we are an all volunteer fire department. This is how we're funded. This is how we, you know, how we do business you know, Hey, let's talk about ISO, you know, and of course not every insurance company uses ISO, but a significant number do.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: it does, it has an impact on a significant number of people uh, in what they pay for insurance premium each year. And so like breaking that down, whether that's a social media thing, whether it's a mail out flyer, whether it's a community meeting, public meeting, what have you, um, you know, there's so much stuff that you're the public does not understand. Uh, and, and then the decision makers don't always understand you, you got yeah. folks serving on the board for a fire department, you know, what's their motivations to serve. Okay. Is it again, a community service thing? Is it, you know, they feel like they're somebody, you know, with a little bit of prestige or, you know, are they a former member? And then if they're a former member, are they, are they serving because they want to help or because they got an ax to grind? You know, th- there's so many variables that, that go into that, but, you know, are we at a minimum educating our decision makers our board members and then to the maximum trying to educate the entire public in what we actually do um, because it's not just firefighting. that's how it started in 1986 and then somewhere in the early 90s we added ems to the role and then here in the last few years we've expanded on you know hazmat technical rescue so on and so forth and, and so some of that you know, the EMS thing was done as a, as a community need. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll be honest. A lot of the tech rescue stuff is yes. We have a community need because we're not really serviced very well for that in our area by anybody. So, you know, if not, if not us, then who? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that's also kind of a sexy retention training tool, uh, as well, because, you know, the folks that are into that, 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 that want to dangle on rappel and do all the fun stuff on rope. And I actually, at first I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'll go through it to, uh, to, you know, just kind of lead by example and, and kind of know what I'm doing. And I got into it and now I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool stuff. <laughs> and so like now I'm like spending way more money than I should on like my own stuff. And, you know, we're like climbing rope and you know, doing stuff at the fire station, and and you know, again, I'm on the phone with Jake, and I'm like, "Hey, man, what do you think about this product and this?" Uh, you know, did we do this right? You know, sending a video or a picture. I mean, it's like I got, I'm sucked in. You know, it's like it's like being a rookie again. You know, and and when you first joined the fire service, you know, it's like all fired up over this on, on this rope stuff. Okay, you're
0: learning so much new stuff, and you're just like, "What is this?" And yeah, getting into something mm-hmm. like that, you're just you're filled with that childhood wonder again.
1: I wish we had done this 15 years ago right
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man um so we are definitely going to have to do another episode because I don't think we touched most of what I wanted to talk about this time around
1: um <laughs> well all right so so throwing out there well we, we we got uh we got nine minutes so so what what can we cover in nine minutes
0: well well uh, this is well- about your time limit yeah i know i know i know um well i i want to go on to the last section of the show because this is something i put on every section and does not have to be finished in nine minutes but (laughs) i want to put it in here but that yeah i'm just i'm actually kind of happy we didn't make it to everything because some of these other topics deserve full episodes for it like there's one specific one that I, I won't mention to the people listening, but like, it'll be a teaser here. Actually, you know what? I will mention it. So it'll be a teaser. It's the the grant process. It's the FG grants and stuff like that. I cannot tell you, I I really want to get into that at some point, because I am extremely interested to hear your take and the background of like the behind the scenes of some of it, you know? So
1: well, so so on that I will say so. So we're sitting in August right now. So yes. you know they they just made the first round of awards uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then in typical fashion they 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 then stopped and they didn't do anything last week or, or, or the week before. Uh, but anyway, they're starting the award process for AFGs, and then uh, safer or FPNS, one of the two will follow. Uh, and so I say all that to say this: that probably just going on their normal schedule. November, December, January time frame, because with FEMA, you got to give a, at least a three-month window, and you still may be wrong. But <laughs> November, December, January time frame, the application period will be open for the next round of grants. So if we're if we're gonna do a show on on the AFG, uh, which kind of you know also kind of works to promote a, a class, it's a, a new class. I'm actually mm-hmm. teaching for the first time in November. Uh, and and so it's afg strategies for success uh if we want to get into that then we probably want to hit that in that november december time frame right around the time that the application period opens so so and that's exactly
0: when what my brain was thinking right now like get you back on then and yeah yeah. let's just go ahead and make that a plan already is that we're getting you back on
1: yeah if, if we do it in march you know then it's like The period's already closed. It's not going to open again until December. So, you know, if we time that right, then, you know, people are sitting there like, what am I going to do for AFG this year? We can can maybe give them some ideas.
0: Yeah, that'd be perfect. Oh, man. Okay. So, so yeah, a little teaser there on that subject, because I I am extremely excited for that subject. And some people may be like, oh, that sounds boring. I promise you, we will not make it boring.
1: (laughs) It won't be boring.
0: (laughs) So, okay. So let's go on to the last section of the show here. Well, and after that too, sorry, sidetrack after that, there's still other stuff that I wanted to go over too. So yeah, we're just going to keep p- getting you back every few months or something to go over all these things. <laughs> I'm
1: good with it. I'm good with it.
0: <laughs> okay. So last section of the show, family, firefighter survival. So, so for those listening, this is a section of my show. I started last year, not quite a year ago, but pretty close. And every single guest episode, we get into this because Basically it started from a a spot where my husband got a job as a career firefighter. I'm still volunteer, but I'm very much thrown into that fire wife fire spouse role. And I was like, okay, I need some help. I need some advice. Things are very different than what I'm used to. Now, uh, that was from the career side, but I know with the volunteer side, there's so many things that, that are different that, I mean, it's marriage is marriage. Family is family, no matter how you look at it, no matter what profession you have. But there are some different little things that come up when you're, when you're part of emergency services, when you're part of the fire department that we need help with that are very different than what other people deal with through the rest of the world. So this is our time to kind of get into everything. This is hundred percent unscripted. Actually, you know what? This entire episode has pretty much been hundred percent unscripted, but I'm okay with that. Uh, but. That's what I love about this is because we're going to go where the conversation takes us. And I will start out with a very simple question for you, Brandon, is what does your family look like?
1: So my wife is, is Lauren. Uh, we've been married. Uh, uh, so you had, to, you had to put me on the spot there.
0: Oh, so, no.
1: <laughs> uh, we've been together for just over 10 years because we sort of dated in May of, uh, of 2012. Uh, see, so we've been married for just over five. So October last year or November, I'm sorry, November last year was five years. So this year will be six that we've actually, that we've been married. So we dated for, you know, roughly five years before we got married. Uh, say I say, I have a daughter, uh, who graduated high school back in, uh, in May of this year. And, and so she has, uh, she's moved back to Georgia uh, with her mother and is taking college classes and everything. I think she's starting out doing, doing online stuff. So, uh, you know, it's just me and my wife and, and we have, uh, two dogs and a cat and, uh, you know, a, an empty nest and it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, no, no plans to, to make any more additions. Uh, you know, she may try to, you know, sneak another dog or cat in there, which, you know, I don't know. I got one of the dogs here let's see here oh Uh, she uh, she ran away she ran away (laughs) she's been jumping up on me here she's she's pretty small so when she jumps (laughs) up like nobody knows but uh so yeah that's uh that's my fan
0: oh fantastic okay so when when you met your wife and everything so obviously you were you were into the fire obviously the fire department stuff like that since you've been doing it for 22 years you hadn't quite gotten to those chief positions quite as of yet and whatnot what did she think of all of it when she I know you can't necessarily put thoughts into her head you know or or translate for sure but what was that like
1: well so at the time we were both uh living in martin going to college at at Mm -hmm. the university of tennessee martin and and so all she knew was that I was on, on the volunteer fire department back home. And so when I would go home on the weekends or the days I have classes that, you know, I would run calls and, you know, and I would try to make trainings, you know, when I could and stuff like that. So, you know, when we first started dating, it, it wasn't really a huge reality thing for her because it was, it was like a, just a distant thing. It's something she knew I did when I wasn't there in Martin, mm-hmm. uh, and so it wasn't until we moved back to Guilt Edge full-time where I guess she kind of got the uh, the awakening. of uh, <laughs> How much
0: time you actually spend with it?
1: Of how much is, is involved. And and so with that too, I mean, like our call volume, uh, you know, we we run uh, around about 550 calls a year. And, you know, you go back to, to 2012, 2013, you know, we were in the 200s, just barely breaking 300 calls a year.
0: Dang. And,
1: and so, you know, you look at the increase we've seen over over the last ten years. You know, so the the pager going off every day, sometimes multiple times a day. You know, that's uh, you know, that took some getting used to. And mm-hmm. then you know, the the training every Monday night. And then training two Thursdays out of the month, in addition to every Monday night, because we do our special operations training on the oh. second and fourth Thursdays, and then we do our, our fire and EMS training every Monday night. On top of the number of classes that we host, uh, you know, there at the at the fire station, and you know, whether it's state academy classes or we bring in you know outside instructors. And then when we were teaching a countywide recruit class, you know, I, I used to kind of jokingly say, and it was like kind of jokingly that you know I'd almost get divorced every time we run a recruit class because you know it's 300 plus hours for the recruits. Well, that's 300 plus hours for the instructors on mm-hmm. top of all the time spent coordinating it. Which at that time I was still I was on shift, uh, so I was doing the full time and the volunteer. Side of it. it, it's a whole lot easier now that I just teach and consult and, and basically kind of run my own business and, and do some contract work. Uh, so I, I pretty much I work as little or as much as I want, and uh, it, it's it's a whole lot less stress on everybody involved. But not everybody's yeah. in that situation, you know. So I mean, you're working a full-time job, you're volunteering, uh, and you're in a department that has high standards. Um, it is a definite balance. And then, you know, as we talked about earlier, not everybody's hundred percent looks the same. And so, you know, you take that person that has the family and and extra obligations that they're involved in, you know, what they're able to dedicate to the department's not going to be the same as as that person that does not have those obligations. So. So
0: what you were saying, yeah, during those recruit classes, you know, you would uh, almost get divorced and things. So what, what did you do together? How did you work through that? Was it just a lot of talking? Were there certain things you did together? How how did so, you make that work?
1: So communication is, is key in all relationships. Okay. Whether that's marriage, whether that's dating, whether that's in the firehouse, uh, or, or wherever you work full time communication or poor communication or the lack of communication is like 99% of the time, the root of all issues. Okay. <laughs> Either you didn't communicate, the communication was misunderstood. Okay. Or interpreted, you know, incorrectly, right? Lack of communication, failure to communicate, or just failure to receive and interpret the message properly is, is, is the biggest issue. So yes. Um, so, a lot of communication. It, it definitely took a lot of communication to to make things work, and and generally, and and, and that would fall to both of us, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of times she wouldn't communicate her unhappiness until you know it had built to a certain point, okay, and I wasn't necessarily the best at at communicating everything that was going on all the time, you know, in advance, you know, so it would be like we're human. Hey, I got this going on tonight you know, and, and it's like the day before or the night of, and, you know, I didn't let her know. And so that just compounded. So once we kind of got the communication aspect of it down, then it, uh, that kind of that kind of smoothed out. But, you know, running the recruit class too, you know, it wasn't just a communication factor, or, or at least the factors leading up to the communication, you know, oftentimes involve stress. Okay, so, so my wife is a chamber of commerce director. OK, so she, she's the executive director of the Tipton County Chamber of Commerce. And, and so with that, you know, she has a very stressful position where she has to deal with politics and, and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. OK, so I have a fire department that I, you know, lead and, and, and run. So there's the stress that comes with that. Then there's the recruit class that I was also coordinating. OK, plus, I, you know, I had a full time job, plus, you know, whatever needed to be done around the house. And so, you know, I'm trying to make all this stuff happen. Uh, on my end, she's trying to make all her stuff happen on her end. And, and because that's just a whole lot of high stress coming together, you know, that kind of led to some of the communication barriers that we had to work through. And we did work through. Um, one thing that I, that I did, uh, and, and we were just talking about this the other day, it was actually one of the, the favorite trips that, that, uh, that she said that we've ever been on. Um, so I went out to CERTSE Uh, In Pueblo, Colorado, took the uh, LMSTI class, which is, I think, Leadership Management of Surface Transportation Incident. So basically, a HAZMAT Incident Command class. Uh, Great class, by the way. Highly recommend. And the way we set that up was, so I drove out there um, and and was in class Monday through Friday. Well, on Friday, she flew out there, (laughs) and I picked her up from the Pueblo Airport once class was over. Okay, we stayed a night in Pueblo and we drove out to Mesa Verde, Durango, Silverton, all that area, drove through the mountains, saw all kinds of cool stuff, uh, you know, went to Dodge City on the way back, checked out the museum there, and then, you know, and came on back home. And so, you know, by combining that, hey, honey, I really want to go take this class. I'm going to be gone for a week in Pueblo. But what do you say? we fly you out there on Friday and then we do like a little four day getaway on top of, Uh, and so we ended up, ended up, uh, we had a similar thing set up where, uh, classes got canceled, but, you know, COVID screwed up a lot of stuff with a lot of the training. And so I was set to take, uh, separately two different two week classes at the NFA. Well, then when the reschedule happened with COVID, I ended up with both of those classes scheduled back to back in February. <laughs> so I was going to be at the NFA for four weeks. Wow. Okay? Which, which I was good with. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I love it there. Uh, you know, four, four weeks may have been a little rough on my liver, but uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, they, they like to drink. They they like to drink in Maryland almost as much as uh, y'all do in Nebraska. <laughs> um, but uh so, so what we worked out was because we knew how the schedules were. So in the two, in between the two two-week classes, same deal, she was going to fly out there. And she was actually going to come out on Thursday because the class graduated early on Friday. So we had had all day Friday, Saturday, Sunday. She'd fly back on Monday. So it was only two days out of her work schedule. And we were going to have four days to um, to explore there in, the, in Gettysburg, Emmitsburg, Catoctin Mountain area, and I mean, of course, you're close enough to so much stuff up there, you can, I mean, it's, the possibilities are endless, (laughs) yeah, and so, so we had that line up, and so that was kind of, that was the compromise, you know, because I've been trying to get one of these classes for a long time, and, and like, I didn't want to try to reschedule again, so it's like, well, here is a possible solution, what do you think, so again, that communication factor, meshed in with a little bit of compromise and and it was an agreeable situation. Now they ended up not opening the NFA in time uh, due to COVID because of that. Uh was the NFA is open and running now. And, and so there's my little shameless plug for you know <laughs> find a class and sign up and, and go see your fire academy. It's your national fire academy. Uh, but but again that was kind of the whole idea was you know the communication, the compromise. How can we take this and, and take it from, okay, we're gonna be apart for a week, two weeks, however many weeks, and combine it together, say, okay, look, yes, I'm gonna be gone for two weeks at this class, but let's turn this into a cool little family deal and let's go someplace that we've never been, you yeah. know, and, and make those memories. So, uh, so a lot of it is, uh, again, open communication and dialogue, and and then being willing to kind of figure out some kind of compromise in there to 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 take a turn a negative into a positive.
0: Well, I think one cool thing I see in your story too and in, in talking about the trips you're taking and and doing things with your wife um is you're you're definitely making the most out of a small amount of time that you get together for that. You are and it's not necessarily that you're like running around doing everything, but you you make that time together so important and so focused on that and it just it makes it more than just a day sitting at home watching tv doing nothing that you could be sitting at home you're actually going and enjoying and creating memories with each other
1: yes yes so so that is absolutely important um is is turning that negative into that positive and, mm-hmm. and you're absolutely right yes we so so i don't go to the class and so we have that together time you know we're watching a movie, we're watching TV, we're watching whatever. And it's nice, but. It's, it's fun, but we do that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, here, here, you know, using the Pueblo trip as an example, you know, yeah, I could have come, you know, straight home, you know, gotten home, you know, sometime on Saturday and then, okay, we're together. But instead, you know, on Saturday, we're like at the National Sand Dune uh, National Park. You know, we're in Durango, Colorado on Sunday. We're at Mesa Verde. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so, I mean, like, I I think that's way cooler.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is. And there's something about those emotions that then hit different, too, because, uh, well, before Chris started his fire academy last year, we went on a trip to Kansas City for a few days. And the memories that we made going to Kansas City for those few days and doing those fun things together and exploring new things we haven't seen before it, stay, it was able to stay with me through that academy and help get me through it. Whereas if he would have just stayed home and been on the couch or done things around town for a few days, it would have been fine, but it wouldn't have helped carry me over through that. So making those other memories to, to, to look back on and keep you held over for some of those times, to me, is a big deal, just because those extra emotions put with it.
1: I, I think you nailed it right there. It, it, it's, it's a bigger... Uh, I don't know the exact word that I'm looking for, but 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 it's it's a bigger emotional event, a positive emotional event, yeah, that that gives you that carryover through some of the negative, you know, separation.
0: hmm Awesome. All right. This has been amazing to get to talk with you, Brandon.
1: Well, <laughs> hey, I appreciate it, and. Like I say, we, we still have a, a ton to talk about. I told you before we started, that's like, yeah, hour and a half. Yeah, we're not going we, we to hit everything. We
0: don't want to hit that. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So, yes, we will get you on for November, December. We'll get you scheduled for it. And everybody just just be excited because he will be coming back and we'll begin. The next thing we'll be going into will be all that AFG stuff because I'm excited to get into it. And then, of course, we'll get you back on another time after that to hit even some of the more things that we had on the list that we didn't get to yet. So
1: I'll have to figure out how to screen share here on the Zoom.
0: I'll walk you through it. We'll be able to do that. Just <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Well, Brennan, how can people find you then?
1: Okay, so I, I am pretty easy to find. Uh, if you throw in the, uh, the, the Chief Fletcher 901 in, uh, in Facebook, uh, that page should pop up. Uh, if you just Google Chief Brandon Fletcher or search Chief Brandon Fletcher on uh, LinkedIn, that will come up. And then I, I had to think, I had to word it differently. It's still Chief Fletcher 901 on Instagram. Uh, I, I'm still kind of getting into the whole Instagram thing and, and trying to reach, reach that off audience, but like, I, I, I couldn't do like the same dashes or place. I think it's like chief underscore Fletcher nine zero one. I don't know. There's maybe a dash or to underscore it, but either way it, it's easy to find, throw it, throw it into Google. Uh, there, there's some stuff that'll come up on, on firehouse as well. Um, and if you haven't signed up, the early bird special ended yesterday, but there's still plenty of time to sign up for Firehouse Expo 2022 in September. It's the last week of September in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm doing a pre conference workshop there, shaping your volunteer fire department to meet today's expectations, and then a regular conference uh, presentation on views from the other side of the desk. So there's my shameless plug for Firehouse.
0: And those but, are uh, fantastic classes.
1: Yes. I, I did oh. both of those classes at the, uh, at the Les Lucret, uh, winter conference, uh, last year. And and actually the views from the other side of the desk has kind of been modified a little bit, uh, from how it was taught there at Les Lucret. I changed it up just a little bit because like some folks were enjoying it but, it, but it was getting a little, it was a little technical. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I tried, I tried to pull it a little bit out of the, out of the technical side of leadership and, and more into the fireman side of leadership. So, uh, Uh, If you, if you've been through that presentation before, like say it has been changed up a little bit, it's a little bit more fireman friendly. (laughs)
0: Well, if nothing else, I love retaking classes. That is like one of my things. I love doing it because you, you pick up on so many different things when you take it a second time, your life circumstances have changed. Sometimes you just hear something different. Sometimes the conversations that happen in the classroom with the different people attending spark a new conversation.
1: And, and so funny you say that because I try to teach my classes in a way that they're discussion-driven. Now, AFG mm-hmm. strategies is probably a little bit less in, in discussion and, and probably more of me explaining. But views from the other side of the desk and shaping your volunteer fire department are both discussion-driven classes. So no two classes are the same. So I, I think uh, uh, the, the first year I taught at Les Lukert, I taught three classes of shaping your volunteer fire department. All three of them were different. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it was at the same conference you know, <laughs> with people from Nebraska, all three sessions were different because of the discussions that came up.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and I
1: think last year I did uh, two of that class plus the, the views from the other side of the desk. And so yeah. the, two, the two versions of Shaping Your Volunteer Fire Department were, were different. So uh, absolutely. Your life, perspective, circumstances, just general knowledge of the subject change. And so when you sit through it again, it's it's kind of like, oh, wow. I didn't get that last time. So I highly encourage retaking classes.
0: Awesome. Well, everybody, uh, thank you for coming by and listening. Brandon, thank you so much for being on. I can't wait to talk with you again in a couple months.
1: Sure. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you for having me
0: of course, this has been awesome. All right, you guys, uh, as always, I have no idea exactly what I'm talking about next week, but I know it's going to be a fun one. So have a good night, day, whatever time you're listening to this, and I will catch you on the next episode. See ya. Thanks for coming by and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Couplings Inspire Podcast. See you next time, everybody.